0: So growing up, my family always went to church, um, but it didn't feel like we were religious about it, most Sundays growing up. However, you could find the Kedwalader family at church. The first church I remember attending was a reformed church, and then a congregational church, and then we moved to North Carolina just before my freshman year of high school, and we began going to a Presbyterian church at that point. My parents would attend peacemaking conferences and lecture series on racial justice, and they would bring me along with them, and I have to confess that at the time, I was really bummed about having to go, because typically, I was the only young person there. Eventually, I went off to college, and I attended the Presbyterian and Episcopal campus ministry, and... Well, it was there that my faith journey began began to become my own. I began to realize that my relationship with God was between me and God. It wasn't simply acquiring my parents, the faith of my parents. I discovered that I, I could engage directly with God. And, well, here I am today. Still working on my relationship with God, still in partnership with the Presbyterian Church USA, still trying to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Recently, I was accepted into a clergy cohort through the Hartford Seminary and the Lilly Foundation, and this past Monday, we went on a field trip to several churches around the state of Connecticut, and two, including two. Evangelical megachurches. The field trip was difficult for me, personally. I didn't do a good job of following the facilitator's guidance to be open to learning about how the churches order their life together independent, independent of their theology. It was and is difficult for me to separate the two. While on the field trip and for a day or two after, I couldn't shake, I couldn't shake the painful and difficult feelings that had arisen in me in those buildings, that had arisen in me in listening to the story of how those megachurches got so big, knowing the harm their theology causes to families like mine and Heather's, knowing the harm that is caused to young people grappling with their sexual orientation or their gender Identity or both. But as the days went by this week, and with the benefit of a little distance, with the benefit of a little distance, I've been able to reflect on those churches with a little more of an anthropological lens. And truly, by the grace of God, this is another proof of God's grace, I have been struck by something. While I find their biblical interpretation unexamined and irresponsible, I do find their desire to deepen their spirituality and to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ meaningful. And I do find it worth reflecting on in our own Christian context. few weeks ago, I shared a blessing that our church staff had received during our staff meeting that week, and this week, John O'Donohue spoke to us once again. This week, as we began our staff meeting, we received a blessing for belonging, a blessing for belonging, and several of us were struck by one of the lines in particular, and so I invite you to also receive this blessing with us. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. And as I reflected on the discipleship experience by Christians not only attending megachurches in Connecticut, but conservative Christians around the world, I considered how it is that we, as mainline Protestant churches... Christians who practice a more progressive theology reflect a life of discipleship, a life that finds harmony between our souls and our lives. And then I turned to our text for this morning, and I heard something new. Continuing in our series to discover more about the creating God Today, we are reflecting on the ways in which we are created to be sent, sent out from this place, sent out into the world. As children of God, as bearers of Christ's love, we are created and called to be sent into the world to live and share the good news of the gospel. And our text for this morning reminds us of the miraculous things that can happen when Jesus sends disciples out into the world. So let's get to it. I invite you to turn with me to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read the first six verses, and then we're going to skip ahead to the 10th and read through to the 17th. Let us listen for God's word. Let us pray. God of creation, God of calling, through your word, may we gain understanding, gain wisdom, gain insight of your love. Amen. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. The disciples departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him, and Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to Jesus and said, "'Send the crowd away, so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in this deserted place.' But Jesus said to them, "'You give them something to eat.' They said, "'We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're going to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men.' And Jesus said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, back in chapter 6, Jesus identified 12 disciples out of the many who had been following him. And those 12 then became known as the disciples or the apostles. For the most part, they accompany Jesus closely on his continued journey of proclaiming the good news. They stay with him. They remain near to him. That is, until we get to chapter 9, to our reading for today, when Jesus calls the twelve together and gives them an assignment. After having spent much time learning, studying the scripture, listening to his teachings, witnessing the power of God at work in the world through Jesus... Jesus, the teacher, sets the disciples out on their own for some, shall we say, experiential education. To prepare them for this work, Jesus equips them for the journey. First, Jesus bestows upon them a sense of hope beyond all hope. He gives them confidence that even the bad things that happen, even the bad things that they will encounter, the demons they encounter will not have power over them. They need not fear. Second, he gives them a sense of peace, beyond all peace, bringing a sense of wholeness, a sense of healing to all that they encounter. They need not shy away from the brokenness of the world, but enter into it, trusting in God's power to redeem God's power to heal, to make new. And then Jesus gives them a little pep talk. He tells them that they're to go out into the world to be with God's people, but before they go, confident in God's grace, God's love, God's presence, Jesus reminds them, you got this. You got this. You, all on your own. You are enough. You got this. To each of them, he said, you are a beloved child of God, created in God's own image, endowed with love beyond all loves. You don't need to put on any additional layers to impress people. You don't need anything more than to just be yourself. Now, as you go along, some people will welcome you. Stay with them. Stay with those people. Stay in those communities. Get to know them. Love them well. Learn from them. Bear witness to our loving and creating God with them. But beware. Know that there will be some who will not welcome you. Don't waste your time being subjected to hurt and harm. I'm not sending you out to be a martyr. I'm sending you out to spread good news. So go. Go. With grace and peace, go out into the world and practice what I've been preaching. You got this. You've got this. So they go. They go out into the world. Although the gospel, doesn't, the gospel account doesn't record their experiences away from Jesus, presumably they practice what Jesus has taught them. And after a time, they return to Jesus. Upon their return, Jesus takes them to a quiet place, perhaps for prayer and reflection on the experiences they had had, perhaps for worship and solitude. But soon the crowds, well, they find them again. They press in once again, and Jesus, in familiar fashion, welcomes the crowds. He continues to teach, to heal, to love the people of God, and the disciples are right there alongside Jesus, bearing witness to the power of God at work in the world. Now, while Jesus is teaching and healing, the disciples, they begin to get a little bit worried about the logistics. They realize that there are more than 5,000 people in the deserted area. Where are they all going to stay? What are they going to eat? They are genuinely caring. They genuinely care about the well-being of the people gathered there. So the disciples ask Jesus to send the crowd away so that they can find food and shelter for the night. But Jesus, well, Jesus doesn't seem too worried. You see, he knows what God is capable. He knows what the disciples are capable of. And Jesus reminds the disciples of what he had instructed them when he recently sent them out. And he says, you can do this. You've got this. You can give them something to eat right here. God has given us all that we need. You are enough. Feed them. You feed them. But the disciples doubt. They reply to Jesus with the all-too-familiar I don't, I don't know about that, Jesus. I don't know about that. I don't know that we have enough, that I'm enough. I don't know about that. Maybe you would, but I don't know the right words to say. I only just have this little bit. It's hard for me to share it with anyone else. Is it even my place? I don't know. So Jesus sends them again with instruction. He tells them, look. Have them sit together in small groups. Have them face one another. Get to know one another. And then let's take what little we have. Let's give thanks to God. Let's bless it. Let's break it. And let's share it. And let's see what happens. And miraculously, everyone eats. Everyone has their fill. And even when everyone has eaten, there are leftovers to spare. Indeed, the abundance of the creating God was and is made manifest. So how does this apply for us today, here, in this place? How can we relate to the experiences of the disciples being sent out into the world? How? Typically, when we, as Progressive Christians consider what it means to be sent. We hear the invitation as a call to go out into the world, laboring for justice, working for peace, and caring for the marginalized. And while this is indeed central to the work of spreading the gospel message of good news, might we consider how we grow into our faith, As disciples of Jesus as we are sent out from this place? Might we consider what it means for us to be sent back into our own daily lives, into our own existing relationships, our own existing patterns of life, and go into them afresh as disciples of Jesus, seeking to deepen our spirituality while participating in the work of justice and peace. As we go from this place, from this church, this community rooted in progressive theology, this community that believes in the God of love and grace, do we hear the pep talk Jesus gives the disciples in our own lives, do we? Do we believe that we are enough? That we need not put on extra layers to impress others or to prove our self worth? Do we? Do we? Do you believe, deeply believe, that you are loved by God? Do you believe that you are created in God's own image? You are created in God's own image to be sent into the world to share what you know of God's very presence and creation among and in you. Do you know? Do you believe that you are equipped with all you need to spread Christ's message of hope, Christ's message of peace, Christ's message of joy, Christ's message of love? As you go from this place, do you carry with you the confidence of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? As you go from this place, do you consider what impact you make on those that you encounter on the world around you as disciples of Jesus? However you answered these questions... However you answered these questions, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. At Theology on Tap this week, in our small groups, in Friendship Hour, at Third Thursday, which, by the way, is going to be the second Thursday of this month because I'll be away, but it's at Third Thursday. Let's talk about it. As a community of faith, let's talk about it. I imagine that for many of us, between the times that we gather together for worship here on Sundays, we don't spend a lot of time purposefully living as disciples, reflecting on what it means to love God in our day to day lives. When we speak with coworkers, when we speak with friends, when we speak with family, we often fall short of language of discipleship when we speak of our passions. For justice, our passion for mercy. Because while well, we don't want to be considered that kind of Christian, we consider ourselves good people. We're good people who try hard to better the world, that's for sure. And whether it is for fear of being misunderstood or fear of being affiliated with a narrow cultural understanding of Christianity, Many of us have lost language of faith, lost language of discipleship. But this language, this truth that we are to be sent into the world as children of God, as disciples of Christ, it makes a miraculous difference. It makes a miraculous difference. It is the difference between caring that 5,000 people are sheltered and fed and strategizing a practical path, and remembering that we attest to a God of abundant grace, a God of abundant love, and with God's help, with God's help, all people will have their fill. All people will have their fill with leftovers to spare with leftovers to spare. Church, we as progressive Christians, we are disciples of a God of abundant love. We are disciples of a God of abundant mercy and grace and peace. We are created to be sent into the world to love God and to love God's people. While we tend to thrive at the second part of the commandment, we are invited to consider what it means to love God what impact it has in our own lives, that we do indeed love God. As we go from this place, church, may we find a harmony between our souls and our lives. Amen.